0: All right, so if you have, uh, you have your Bible or phone or whatever you use, ch- turn to Acts chapter 9. This is one of the most pivotal stories in the whole of Scripture. In fact, if this story hadn't happened, then uh, our Scriptures would end just after this story that wasn't. Because this is a story about a guy called Saul who became a guy called Paul and wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament. And we've heard his story and we know his story. I'm going to recap his story. But the thing that I want to draw out today is that Paul's story and the rest of the New Testament and the church as we know it today, which has survived for over 2,000 years, only happened... Because of a friendship that should never, ever have happened. And I'll tell you where I want to go in this message, because I think it's one that speaks to great potential for us and and great potential for us to make a difference in our world. History was changed Because one guy who by all accounts should have kept himself to himself decided that he was going to cross the line. He was going to walk outside his comfort zone and befriend someone who was very, very different from him. And because of their friendship, the world was changed. And I think this story reminds us that if we make friends with people who are just like us, not only do we lose, but the world can lose as well. We're living in a time where subcategories and subcultures are becoming more and more defined. It is harder day by day to find someone like us. But if we're going to bring the hope and the healing to this world that Jesus wants to through us, it is becoming more and more imperative that we make friends with people who aren't like us. And so as we talk through this story, I want to just highlight this amazing, crazy, bizarre, should-have-never-happened friendship that Paul and this guy called Ananias shared. And as we look at their friendship and how it developed, even though it shouldn't, perhaps there are some things that we see and that we can find out to help us become a little different. So Acts chapter 9, let me, let, me, let me start by this. Crazy story, right? Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. Saul was consumed with hatred for the church. In this day, if you were a Christian, Paul was toxic and dangerous Because he did evil acts. He was on a mission to stamp out every trace of Christianity. It didn't just say he was ushering threats. It didn't just say he was putting things in place legally to carry out threats. It says that he was breathing hatred among Christians. What that tells us is that everything within him hated everything about Christianity. And we wonder, why why was that? What what had someone done to Paul that had made him so angry? And I'm not sure we'll we'll ever really fully understand that. But we know that Paul grew up in a certain way. He grew up within a a certain paradigm of what was right and wrong. We we know that he was at the top of his profession, and he was a a leader for many people. And for some reason, he hated this man called Jesus and this message of hope called Christianity. Christianity. Because he had the power, because he had the influence, he says, I'm going to, to stamp it out. It says, so he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. You know, a lot of people would say that Paul was an extremist, that right now he was, he was out of control. And in many ways, he was. But even in his out-of-controlness, he still um, submitted to the law because he had to uh, go and get permission from the priest to go and round up these folks because these Christians in Damascus were out of his jurisdiction. So even though he was been uh, a little reckless in his message, he wasn't reckless in his method. He wanted to do it, (coughs) excuse me, the right way. And so he goes to get permission from the priest to extradite these people. Verse 3, as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one that you are persecuting. Now get up and go to the city and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless for they heard the sound of someone's voice but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. First of all, Paul is this man who hates the church. He's heading to Damascus because he heard that the Christians had made it to Damascus. Damascus was a significant city because it was a trade city that had trade routes going everywhere. And so Paul's fear here was that if Christianity caught fire in Damascus, it could very quickly go around the world, and he didn't want that to happen. So he heads with this license from the priest off to Damascus. He takes his entourage with him to protect him, to keep him safe, to help him bring the prisoners back and he's nearly there at Damascus when all of a sudden this bright light shines from heaven and he hears the voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Two things about this call. First of all, the voice knows his name. He he knows him by name. God, God had been watching Saul for a while. The second thing, he says, why are you persecuting me? The truth is that Saul hadn't been persecuting Jesus. He thought Jesus was was done and and gone. He'd been persecuting Jesus' people. This reminds us of two things. One, that God knows our name, and God knows everything about us and calls us by name. The second thing it teaches us is that Jesus has our back. Because when we experience any kind of persecution, any kind of struggle, Jesus identifies with us in that. Does that make sense? Paul, Saul, hadn't persecuted Jesus. He persecuted his people. But Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? Why? Because God is never distant from us when we're experiencing pain. And we need to remember that. That Jesus is so on our side that when we struggle, he struggles. When we hurt, he hurts. So here's this voice. It says, who are you, Lord? The word Lord tells us that even though Saul was a very powerful man, he knew that this voice had power over him, and then he had to submit, and he had to say, Lord. The voice said, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get up and go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. This would have messed with Paul because he was a man who was in charge. He knew where he was going. He knew what he wanted. But in this moment, he's got no plan at all. Go there, and then I'll tell you what to do. Nobody told Saul what to do. Saul was the one who told people what to do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. That would be a little bit unnerving, wouldn't it? Equally unnerving was that once Saul got up, he opened his eyes, but he could not see. We, We read a little bit later that he was blind for for three days, and he was blind for three days, and then he met the guy called Ananias, we'll talk about him in a moment, and Ananias prayed, and he could see again. In this moment, Saul is going through a death and resurrection that included the similar elements of Jesus' death and resurrection. He's knocked to the ground, he becomes powerless, that's his death. For three days, even though he's got his eyes open, he can't see. And then on the third day, when he meets Ananias and Ananias prays for him, his eyes are opened again, not just his physical eyes, but the eyes of his heart, and that's his resurrection as a new person. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. That must have been so humiliating, so humbling for powerful Saul. He couldn't do anything except for his friends. He was completely blind the first thing we need to understand about this story is that the friendship that Ananias and Saul developed was based on unlikely circumstances. It would never, ever have happened if God hadn't done this change in Saul's heart. And so as we talk about making unlikely friendships the first thing that we need to pray for ourselves and for others is that God would change our hearts. There are so many people in this world that I can't be friends with, not because of geography, not because of them, but because of the prejudice and the brokenness and the sin in my heart. So if I want to make unlikely friends, I have to say, God, would you change my heart as well? There are lots of people in this world who I can't be friends with, not because of my heart, but because of their heart. And so we pray as well, Lord, would you melt their hearts? Would you bring transformation in them? Would you change them? The first component... Of an unlikely friendship is that we invite God to change our heart. There's two ways that that can happen one, that God can knock us to the ground like he did Saul, or secondly, we can choose to kneel. We can either humble ourselves or we can be humiliated. Let me tell you what the favorable option is. It's that we would humble ourselves. If we want to make unlikely friendships, we need a change of heart, and that only comes when our heart is humbled, and it is better to choose to humble ourselves than be humiliated. We want to make unlikely friendships. Our heart has to change. Here, Paul's heart begins to change. And then this is where things get really, really interesting. In Damascus, there was a believer named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling out Ananias. We read that Ananias was a faithful disciple. Some versions of Scripture says two things about him. First of all, that he was righteous, meaning that he always wanted to do the right thing. Secondly, that he was obedient. That whenever God asked something, he said, I'm in. He's all alone in his house, and he has this vision. He could have been sleeping, and he had this vision in the form of a dream. It could have been daytime, and he just kind of got struck. Perhaps in a similar way to, 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 to Paul did with this, this voice, this picture. And he hears this voice calling his name. And once again, there is God tapping him on the shoulder, saying, I know you. And I want you to make a difference. So as soon as Ananias hears this voice in the vision, he immediately says, yes, Lord. You know, it's very interesting when Paul has his vision, when he's humbled, when he hears his name called, he says, who are you? Because he doesn't know Jesus, when Ananias hears it, he immediately says, yes, Lord, because he knows who it is that is calling him. His response is beautiful, but if we're honest, we'd probably call it a little bit naive. God asks something of it, and immediately he says, yes, Before considering what it is that he's asked to do. Something happens in our relationships, right? That when someone asks us to do something, we stop to think it through. And that's actually a pretty wise thing to do a lot of the time because we get asked to do some some crazy stuff. One of the things, just to confess and to share my sin to you, when I am asked to do something around the house, my initial default doesn't tend to be, yes, Lord. (laughs) It tends to be some kind of excuse, some kind of no, some kind of reason why I can't. But I love Ananias' response here. Because if we're going to be used by God, our first response instinctively needs to be, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. You see, if we want to develop unconventional friendships, and we stop and we count the cost, a lot of the times we never get to make those friendships. Instinctively, he knows that God is in control, and so he has to say yes. If we're going to make unlikely friendships, we need to be quick to say yes. Excellent, God thinks to himself. Verse 11. Then go over to Straight Street. Straight Street still today is the main thoroughfare in Damascus. They didn't have very creative city planners, but... It's a straight road. (laughs) When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in again and laying hands on him so he can see again. And it's perhaps at this point that the penny starts to drop. There are two things that really kind of mess with him a little bit. When he hears the name Saul, and he hears that Paul is praying, those two things just don't compute to him. But by this time, he's already said yes. Yes. If we want to make unusual friendships because of a covenant relationship that we have with God, our first response is to say yes. So often our default is no, but if we keep saying no, then we're not going to make the friends that we kind of need to to make if we're going to heal the world. Two things. First of all, God has to get a hold of your heart. If you want to make an unusual friend. Secondly, if you want to make an, an unusual friend, not that they're unusual, but that the friendship is unusual, then we have to be quick to say yes. Sometimes we have to react. Because if we think it through, we never get to do that thing that God needs us to do, Right. I love that Ananias, because of his love for God, said yes. Then wisdom or something tries to catch up with him. Verse 13. We read two words that should never be next to each other in a sentence. But Lord. That's a contradiction, right? Right? Because if Jesus is the Lord, then we can't really say, but. But Lord, Ananias exclaimed, I have heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. It's almost like he's telling God, hey, I don't know if you've heard the gossip, but this soul is a bad guy. He's causing all kinds of trouble to your people. In fact, God, you may want to put your eye on him. He is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. Verse 15, you'll see there's another but. But the Lord said, it's just a little, little thing to understand if ever you find yourself in a discussion with God about whether you should do something, (laughs) Or if you ever find yourself in a situation where you're feeling you need to tell God what's going on because he doesn't know, God's butt is better and bigger than your butt. I know that sounds silly. It doesn't mean if you think about it like that, it doesn't work. <laughs> right? Yeah, single T. <laughs> But we have all our excuses, and so we say but, but God has got a bigger but that takes away our excuses, right? You know, we we, we have all these reasons why we can't, and why we shouldn't, and why we're afraid, but God says, I've got a more compelling reason to do something, then your reason not to do something. He says, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings as well as to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Things are getting really, really uncomfortable now. And I think this is the third insight into what we need to do if we want to make unlikely friendships. Not only must we ask God to humble our hearts, not only must we initially say yes, but thirdly, we have to prepare and be prepared for some uncomfortable realities. You know, God lets Ananias offer his butt. God listens patiently while Ananias makes his excuse. But when push comes to shove, God has the last word and we have to go. No matter how scary, no matter how difficult, no matter how uncomfortable it makes us, if we're going to build the kind of friendships with people who aren't like us, we have to realize that it's going to be uncomfortable, and we have to not be afraid of that which is uncomfortable. Talk of comfort zones have become so cliche, right? But more often than not, what God wants to do does not exist within our comfort zone. We have to step outside of it. We have to step into the uncomfortable for God to do what God wants us to do. We have to humble our heart. We have to say yes. And then we have to figure out how to live in the uncomfortableness of doing what is right, even though it's not comfortable for us. I was reading a little devotional this week about the innkeeper in the birth of Jesus story. And it talks about how that innkeeper missed out on an incredible opportunity. It said that if he'd have welcomed Jesus into his little motel, we'd probably still know about that motel today. The commentator in his devotion said that, man, marketing doesn't get any better than having Jesus stay at your hotel. (laughs) To say that Jesus was born... Man, he could have marketed that and gone and made all kinds of money off that. But he said, no, no, no. Instead of saying yes, he said no, and he missed out on the opportunity. Ananias could have said no, and he would have missed out on this opportunity to to see Paul change the world. I wonder how many opportunities we miss out on because we're afraid and because we say no and because we want to stay in our comfort zone. Here's what I'm finding and what I have found. The will of God for our life exists just one step outside of our comfort zone. But that one step is so hard to take, and so, so often we don't, and when we don't, we miss out on so much, right? If we want to make the kind of friendships with people that are different from us, the kind of friendships that our world so desperately needs, we have to humble our heart. We have to say, yes that even when we thought it through, even when we know it's going to be hard, even when we know it's going to hurt, we have to step out into this uncomfortable reality because it's outside of our comfort that God does his best thing. Another cliche that has been going around kind of church circles for a while is that the safest place for us to live is in the middle of God's will. On one hand, that's true, but there's not a lot that is safe about being in God's will. Lucy, the character in the Chronicles of Narnia, talks to her brother about Aslan, this Jesus figure. And she says to Peter, her brother is... Is he safe? And Peter says, no, no, no. He's not safe. But he is good. If we want to live a safe, comfortable life, we're never going to experience the incredible things that God wants to do in and through us. We must humble our heart. We must say yes. We must follow through on our yes. And so Ananias goes... Verse 17, so Ananias went and found Saul. You know, I got a weak stomach when it comes to doing courageous things. (laughs) And I can imagine how nerve-wracking this must have been for Ananias. There were probably a thousand times on that short journey where he wanted to turn back and go back to the comfort of his own house. And I imagine he knocks on the door, and maybe he gets ready to run because this guy he's going to visit just a few hours ago was watching Christians being killed. He laid his hands on him and said, "Brother Saul, let's just stop there that's crazy. so So Ananias wasn't supposed to lay hands on Saul. Saul was supposed to lay hands on Ananias, right? That was the way it was supposed to go down. That's why Saul went to Damascus. That's why Ananias didn't want to go and see Saul. But when Jesus shows up in friendships, he reverses everything, right? He changes everything. The one who was supposed to be beaten up to get his hands laid on was laying hands on Saul. Not in an aggressive way. But in a gentle, tender, loving way. Second thing, just note on this verse. Ananias walks up to him and calls his arch enemy brother. How crazy is that? What what would it, what would it be like if we were able to call the people we hate the most brother? man that's what the gospel does it makes brothers out of our enemies i can't remember all the details maybe some of your history buffs can but i understand that there was a uh, story with lincoln once and the the leader of the 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 rebellion kind of uh came to his office and lincoln's secretary said hey this this guy's here your enemy's here Shall i just tell him to go away And Lincoln says, no, 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 let's sit down and talk. I can think of no better way than to defeat an enemy by becoming his friend. And that's what Ananias does here. And he lays hands on his enemy in love, and he calls him brother. Because in this moment, they have the same father. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road, he sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. He sent me so that you can live fully physically and that you can receive the Holy Spirit so you can live fully spiritually. Verse 18, instantly. Because God is the God of the instant. Than when he wants to accomplish his plans. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterwards, he ate some food and regained his strength. Man, I don't know how Paul goes back to Jerusalem after that. Maybe with this little license, he's got to arrest the Christians in hand and shred it in pieces of paper and say, hey, something happened. Oh, you couldn't find any Christians. What was it? No, I became one of them. He says, I was baptized. Baptism means that he's realizing his identity as a son of God. It means that he's saying, I'm going to start my life again. It means that he's saying to a watching world, I'm different now. And so after this, Ananias gave him some food and Saul regained his strength and he wore his new name, Paul. Paul. And he went on to change the world. Paul changed the world because God grabbed his heart. Paul changed the world because the Holy Spirit was working in him and through him. But Paul's not changing the world unless this unlikely friendship had taken place. Paul was exhausted in what he was doing when he was capturing and killing the Christians. But as he meets Jesus, he starts to live an exciting life where everything was different for him and everything was different for the world. How do we make unusual, unlikely friendships? First of all, we let God humble us. And again, we can either be humiliated or we can choose to humble ourselves. I would much rather choose that than have it forced upon me. Secondly, how do we make these unlikely friendships? We say yes. Our default is yes. When God asks, we say yes. When God says where, when God says go, we say where. How do we make unusual friendships? We step outside of our comfort zone. We go when we don't want to. We do scary things. We do bold things. This final little passage teaches us as well that we can make unusual friendships because we share a common grace with people who are different from us. Because life points out and scripture reveals and truth tells us that everybody has a hole in their heart that can only be satisfied by the presence of God. That means that they need what in Jesus we offer. That means that we need what Jesus offers to us. We can make unlikely friendships because they, whoever they are, and us are all in need of a common grace. We live in a world that is so divided, where subcultures have subcultures have subcultures. And there are more people who aren't like us than are like us. We can retreat and hide and feed the division, or we can make unlikely friendships. Lord, would you humble me? Lord, would you help me say yes? Lord, would you help me move outside of my comfort zone? Because I share in a common need of grace with everybody that you've created. God uses unlikely friendships for incredible purposes. May he use us and our relationships and our friendships once again to change this world.